Hello, right, so and all, everyone. Welcome back to Fearless in Devotion, the Wrexham AFC podcast, sponsored, of course, by the Fat Boar Bar and Restaurant. Great place. Um, everyone's in a good mood today. Much better mood. Why might that be, Andy? Is it because we're all watching Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade on, on E4 and we're remembering no. how great a movie it is? Thanks for letting me know about that. You'll have to plus one it now. I'll plus one it now, but great film. Um, what a win, Andy. Notts County, 1-0, needed that, didn't we? Needed that. We did. Oh, we really did. And we needed Sutton as well. We needed uh, mm. a couple of... So Sutton certainly was dirty. Uh, Notts County, um, I mean, they had their moments, uh, but overall, I thought there was a lot of good performances in that. Um, if you, you know, Arthur was brilliant, uh, made some fantastic saves. The back three is not the back three I would have chosen a couple of weeks ago, but it's kept a clean sheet. And I think we're getting at the stage now where we have to settle on a back three. It seems that Hayden uh, and Tunnicliffe are either injured or out of uh, out of favour. Uh, O'Connell did really well in anchoring anchoring the three. Uh, Max gets better. Um, really, you could see that in his out ball. He really had a really good pass on him yesterday. Uh, and, and Will Boyle, he did fine. I mean, you know, much maligned for parts of the season, but he's the left-sided centre-half that Parkey brought in from a championship club. Um, and a cracking finish at Sutton. Yeah, it was actually, yeah. I couldn't really see it from where I was the other end, but once mm. I saw it back, I thought, yeah, it's a smart little finish that. Um, McLean was great. I think it was his best best performance for us. I really, really worried Jody Jones against McLean. I thought it could have been, I thought it could have been a, a bit of a massacre, but I was wrong because... Jody Jones had to swap, swap sides in the end because he wasn't getting anything past McLean. Um, captain for the day, led by example, never stopped running. You know, I've been critical of him on here sometimes. You have many yeah. times, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not still not sure he's an, an absolute wing back, but, I, you know, credit where credit is due. He did really well yesterday. Yeah. Now, the only sort of thing I'm thinking is Mullin. He's doing Mullin type stuff but it's just not it's just not coming off for him at the moment I mean the lad worked his socks off yesterday he really did run everything down but it seems that he's he's missing that that five percent that makes him special uh I don't know what what other people think about this um but the only sort of minor downside on on what was a very enjoyable afternoon almost the perfect the perfect afternoon I think mm. I really enjoyed that um Tim, you went down to Gander Green Lane, didn't you? I did, yeah. Did you yeah. enjoy that experience? I mean, I think that summed up... Well, that was typical, wasn't it? Because it was exactly what we needed. We didn't play very well. Sutton did play quite well, actually, and had a couple of decent chances. They probably had two... They had one stonewall penalty turned down when it was one all. Um, mm. And another one they could have had as well. You know, if we were if we were bottom of the league, we'd be absolutely spewing about that. Um, but it, we just needed to get three points, didn't we? And we got it. Yeah, I wouldn't say enjoyable was the right word, to be honest. It was, it was it was a throwback to recent seasons gone by where it's just with the greatest respect, you know, that not the greatest of grounds, not the greatest of surfaces, horrible journey if you're, if you're from you know this part of the, the world. Um, but all that really matters is, you know, waking up the next day and going, oh, we won. You know, that's, that's, that's the bottom, that's the long and short of it. So... Seven days a long, long time in football. We, we played played Bradford off off the park for most of that game and lost. Played pretty poorly at Sutton and won. 
and then finally got the best of both worlds against Knots. So it's kind of like a kind of felt like we we pressed reset after Sutton. I think that the players were hurt at Sutton the way they performed, the heat they got from the crowd, which they probably not seen at that level for a, a long, long time. So, but yeah, I mean, the, the Sutton thing, you just got to grind it out. You're not going to win pretty every week. And, uh, you know, people kind of forget this is League Two. It's not about winning pretty every week. It's just not going to happen. Liam, uh, what were your thoughts on the atmosphere at the game at Notts County? Um, I really enjoyed it. There was um, a chant from Notts County fans, that football in a library one, which I bloody hate. Um, and I was just thinking, what the bloody hell are you on about? It was, uh, it, I thought it was really good yesterday. There have been times... Uh, you know, it's hard to play football in a library. All exactly, yeah. Really get in the way. Well, plus, the people who run the place are quite officious, so they're going to be getting involved and stopping that anytime soon. Um, but no, sometimes we've struggled a bit for atmosphere this season, but I thought it was really decent, especially sort of when you're talking about those last seven minutes and things are a bit edgy. The worst thing would have been if the crowd had, you know, got on their backs a little because they were pressing us back and pressing us back. But for pretty much all four sides of the ground were on their feet chanting for those last seven minutes. I think it... It helped get them over the line. So, yeah, I was chuffed with that. Um, I heard there was one crowd member, though, who was causing a bit of trouble. He was seen drinking Copperberg on the streets of Wrexham before the game and selling fanzines. But uh... Hang on. Right. Can I first say thank you to everyone who bought the fanzine? Uh, I, I did actually sell out. Um, I've got some here. We're gonna. They're on eBay. So if you want one, um, please go yes. ahead and, and get them from there. But... Right, special offer for people. Anyone who wants to email me um, can have this issue four interview with Ollie Palmer, really good stuff in it, can have issue four for free. All you need to do is cover postage. So for, say, the US, for example, I don't know, that will probably be about $8. But it's like a little thank you for, for everyone who supported us. Uh, so just email me with with your address, I'll get one over. And if you can sort postage, you can get out, you can have issue four for nothing. What's your email? Message, great message to us. Yeah, yeah, what's your email first, Andy? It's Andrew Gilpin, no dot, G-I-L-P-I-N at hotmail.com. So nice and easy, Andrew Gilpin at hotmail.com. And a great message oh, yeah. to our regular readers as well. You know, don't buy it if we do another one. Just wait two years if you have it for free. Well, yeah, all right. Well, I'm just trying to say thank you. And I've got like, basically, there was a printing error and they gave us too many. So they're all knocking about my house. I might as well give them to people. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, it, it, it's a freebie. Thanks for supporting yeah. us. Just just cover the postage. can be anywhere, uh, anywhere in the world and we'll sort it. Great. And contrary to some comments, they are not soiled. They are absolutely fine. <laughs> they're not damaged soiled. anyway, are they? <laughs> They're not damaged in any way. No, they're not damaged. They're absolutely fine. Look at it. It's a premium deal. <laughs> Match date the mice queen. Excellent. There we go. Yeah. Oh, Trumps. What, what a game. Cross promotion. Cross promotion. Right back to Notts County, away from the uh uh from that. You mentioned McLean, Andy, and how well he played. Um, I mean, great finish by Fletcher again, Tim. Yeah, I mean. No great surprise. I mean, Sunday said earlier on that he poses more of a threat than Palmer. I don't know what you guys think about that. We'll check in a minute. Um, you know, I think he's got six goals in 13, 14 appearances. Not bad. Not bad. And like, if you compare his record with that of Luke Armstrong, who we almost got in, I think he scored once in about similar amount of games for Carlisle. So who's the real winner in all this? It's quite funny because 
everybody's taking the piss when, when we signed him with the fan bases. And now they're all saying he's far too good for this division. <laughs> so it's just it's just an instinctive finish by somebody who's been there and done it. And, and that's what you get. And it was just just great. I mean, a little bit lucky the way the ball fell for him and the other two defenders were blindsided. They were, they were facing the other direction, but that finish, no keeper stopping that. It's, it's just the, the fact he's falling over and he volleys it and generates that much power. Just just insane. And there's another chance he had where he almost head, he tried to head it over the goalkeeper from the edge of the 18-yard box. Just what a bonkers player. So good. He did an overhead clearance kick as well in our own half. Just insane. Yeah, you get the impression that keeping him fit uh, for the season, because he's not going to start and play 60, 70 mm-hmm. minutes every game, you don't think. Um, you know, he may revert to a super sub role at some stage and then start again when there's rotation. But he's he seems pretty important at the moment to our on-field success. And maybe the last week, as you were saying, Tim, as well, a long time in football, a message, a good reminder to us all that a lot can happen in a in a few days and suddenly... You know, we're not plummeting down the table and it's not all doom and gloom and uh, we haven't got a panic, right? Well, at this stage, prior to, to Tuesday's matches, we're in action, Stockport in action as a, as a game in hand. Um, you know, with suddenly three points behind Stockport with a game in hand. We're above crew with two games in hand on them. All the results fell in our favour yesterday, which doesn't happen very often. So if we, obviously we'll come to predictions later, but if we can get, Anything from that MK Dons game, um, because they are flying, they're really in form, then that is a good statement of intent at this stage of the season now. It's like we've had our little wobble, Stockport having a massive wobble now, so everybody's having them. Wobbles are fine, just getting out of the wobble, and hopefully we're out of it. So well done, everyone. Well done, all concerned. And well done uh, to the man who we will now be featuring as an interview on this podcast. Those of you will be... uh, Obviously, we'll have seen the title and we'll know that we've got a big one uh, this week. Phil Parkinson. Uh, and it was actually his 150th game, wasn't it, uh, Tim? And it would be the 150th ep- episode of the podcast were not for a clerical error. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is true. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it, I, I knew it was honest upon us. So I made a few representations to the club. So very thank you to, to Colin and the club for giving us access to Phil and thanks to Phil for his time. You'll enjoy it as, as you'll hear soon. But yeah, I mean, 150 games, I think that includes probably friendlies and stuff as well. I tried to tally it up short notice, but whichever way you look at it, 94 wins is not as counted. One of the not as counted is 94 wins in 150 games. Um, some people argue, well, it should be around that for the money spent and all this sort of jazz, but we all know it's a very different story trying to, get your players to sing to the same tune week in, week out and be as relentless as they have been. So I just think, um, you know, especially in recent weeks, he's had a few pelters, which I don't think are justified. Um, he addresses that in the pod as well, would you hear? But yeah, I just I just think, I mean, what he, he was he was hired to do a job. He's achieved that job and he continues to achieve what they're setting out to do. So, I mean, how can you really have any complaints let's hear from the man himself
Sometimes records speaks for themselves. Nearly 150 games, 93 wins, 32 draws, 24 defeats, a cup final, FA Cup runs, first promotion in 20 years, a feel-good factor. But I think it's more the way this fella conducts himself. Now, I want to talk about the first time we, uh, we ever spoke. Now, you won't remember this, Phil, at all. But it was about 20 years ago. Um, I was lo- I was a cub reporter and I was looking for a preview for the the Reading upcoming Reading Wrexham match. And a good mean, a good sort of well known sort of local reporter down there gave me your number. Yeah. I said, give, give this guy a ring. Give this guy a ring. So I phoned you and you were absolutely confused. Why why was I why was I phoning you? But I think this is a good metaphor for your time at Wrexham. What you did is you just gave me what I needed in the minimum yeah. with minimum of fuss. That's and, good you know, you didn't, yeah, you didn't have to. But I just thought I always thought you know that's the measure of the fella, really. Some you know, you just went and did it with quite efficiency. And I always respected that. Yeah. You know, he's the man. What, what was the, what was the score in the game? Oh, I can't remember. Was it at the race? Was that the race course? I think it was down at the Majeski, and oh, I think, and people might might trip me up on this. I think this is where I saw Dennis Lawrence head the ball out of the Majeski. Really? I do you reckon that's possible? Oof. I've never seen it happen. Oh, it's the sort of thing you'd probably remember, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's an urban myth. It's an urban myth. Anyway, welcome. The man who gives us what we need, Super Phil Parkey. How are you? Yeah, very good, thanks. Very good. Um, right, first question, bit of a soft one. Were you always known as Parkey? Is there ever been any any other nicknames? Not really, no. Parkey at school. Um, yeah, that's it. My mum calls me Philip though, still. But... Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Is that when you've been good or when you've been bad? Mum and dad called me Philip, but everyone else, Phil or, or Parkey, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my mum calls me Andrew, but usually when, I'm, when I've been bad. Are you ever called Timothy, Tim? Yes, again, like you said, when, when I'm usually in my mother's bad books, but, you know, there we are. Tim, you, you go ahead, mate. You uh, you start. Yeah, Phil, I mean, as we've alluded to, I mean, the whole idea of getting you on is is that as, as far as records that we can see, closing in on 150 games in charge of Wrexham, very close to it. Um. Does it feel like 150 games? I imagine there was points where it felt probably felt like a lot more. But has, how quick has it gone? Yeah, it's gone quick. I mean, someone told me the other day it was coming up to 150, and I was like a bit taken aback, really. Yeah, it's it's been a whirlwind, really. It's almost in management in general, you don't have a chance to to think too much. Just you just rolling onto the next game, and um, obviously at Wrexham in particular, because there's always so much going on. Um, which is exciting. Um, yeah, it's it's been great. I've really enjoyed it actually since since the day I came in. It's uh, it's been an enjoyable experience. It's a great club. You know, from the day I came in, there was uh, so many characters in and around the club um, who've been here for years, and just you know enjoyed connecting with those people as much as uh, the kind of glamour of meeting you know the. the the Hollywood side of it and the documentary, but meeting the the people who are the lifeblood of the club and have played such a part in keeping the club alive over a number of years, that's been just as rewarding. Without sort of trying to put you on the spot about it, not in an unfair comparison way, but in all the clubs that you managed, is this kind of, is it safe to say this is the most enjoyable spell you've had just in, in terms of the success, but just the lads that you've had there, the backing you've had, the support from the fans would, would that mean it's probably the most enjoyable place you've been from a managerial point of view? 
think winning makes managing enjoyable, and uh, we, we've obviously had a lot of wins, a good percentage in the, in the time I've been here. And yeah, it's been an interesting challenge really from day one because the squad has evolved at quite a fast pace and it needed to because, as I've said many times in the press before, the club was playing catch-up and still is in, in many respects in terms of the structure of the squad and, and, and building it building it to where it needs to be to be competitive in the, the respective divisions. So, um, yeah, it's been non-stop in terms of kind of like keep changing things around, improving things and behind the scenes because... You know, if you don't keep improving and you stand still, people go past you in, in football and, you know, we're very conscious of that. So, yeah, it's gone quick, but like I said, really enjoyable. Before I sort of delve into the, the, the sort of an overview of each of the seasons, is there anything in particular in your time in charge of Wrexham so far where you can look and go, there's one thing that you've maybe particularly noticed about yourself as a person, as a character, is there anything you think, oh, maybe I've added that to my bow or you've brought something more to the surface that you maybe never noticed before? I think as you get more experienced as a manager, you know, the highs, um, obviously not as high, but more importantly, when you get beat, just not getting as low because it, it does hit you hard as a manager. It doesn't matter how experienced you are when you get beat. But I think I've got better over the years in moving on from from defeats and setbacks quick, quicker. You've always got to, you know, you move on eventually but quicker in terms of, you know, the next day very quickly looking at the solutions of, of what we've got to do next. So I think that's a, a key part of it. Um, yeah, and also just sometimes taking that step back, having a day away from the club or or just going for a walk somewhere and game of golf and letting decisions come to you a little bit. I think that's very important. And when managers who've just got jobs ask me, you know, what I think is important, I do think that's a very key quality to to have because if you're in the club every day early leave late and it's sometimes you can't see the wood for the trees and it's good to get a bit of time on your own and just let decisions come to you before i jump into the first season i'll throw it back to andy because i know he's uh he's an excitable child with lots of good questions <laughs> um right i want to say three words to you phil i want to say fanny fucking footballers now it's got to be quite iconic. Are you full of little sayings like that? Did you sort of keep it for the documentary or is that sort of sort of stuff you say all the time? To be honest, I didn't keep anything for the documentary because we, me and Steve just decided quickly that we're just going to be ourselves because the camera's are with us all the time and the most important thing we had to do is try and win games of football so it's impossible to put on an act of any sort um, because... In the dressing room, the, the cameras you almost where well, you do forget they're there because um, they've been with us all the time. Um, yeah, listen, sometimes in the heat at the moment, you come out with things you think the next day, what, what, what was I saying? But listen, the dressing room before a game is key. The five, ten minutes before the lads go out, assessing the mood in the group, half time is very important because sometimes people think, well, team did so much better second half you must have like had a real go and sometimes it's not that sometimes it's just settling everybody down and, and and making a couple of slight changes so you've just got to assess the moods before and at half time and uh hopefully you can pick up that right between myself and the rest of the staff 
Yeah, because again, park, the parky enthusiasm is, has got to be quite uh, quite well known in these circles. I mean, you're so mild mannered most of the time. Why, why does it flip like that? And surely, surely that's Steve Parkin's job to 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 be the crazy one, isn't it? Yeah. No, we just say we want to win. I think you know, I love winning. It's, there's no no better feeling as a manager when you work all week to on the training pitch and it comes to Saturday and you win and. You know, sometimes emotions get the better of everybody. And, you know, it's a very passionate game. It's very competitive against every team, every manager. You know, we always have a drink afterwards. But, you know, have I got many friends who in the opposition dug out? Not really, because it's a dog-eat-dog industry. And, um, yeah, sometimes the passion can take over in the dressing room. Sometimes it's needed. And, uh, yeah, we'll do whatever it takes to, to get performance out of the lads. And just just going to Ryan and Rob, I mean, I, I would imagine when you know they were getting their leadership off the ground, and you would first come in. I, I, wish, I would imagine there was quite you know quite a bit of back and two. Are things less sort? Of, is there less sort of contact now? Things are in a rhythm, um, or, or are they still sort of always on the phone or, or DMing you? Just you know when they yeah. see certain things. Um, I mean, the first time I met them properly when they came over, I think it was around the Torquay game and we had a board meeting, well, kind of a meeting to discuss everything. And I was surprised how engaged they were about every single player, you know, how much they've been watching every match. And because, um, yeah, so and since then I realised, you know, because sometimes when you're talking to to, to owners, you, you don't know how much they know about the game or individual players, but they're, they're absolutely on it on every single lad they want to know about you know anything personal which goes on in the lads lives they can help with they're engaged in that do i speak to more less than before probably about the same really um right. but the great thing about rob and ryan you know they they trust us and, and let me get on with my job and obviously sean harvey with his job and as i've said many times before i think that when i you know initially spoke to, to rob and ryan they said look you know, we don't profess to know how to run a football club in, in the UK. Um, so we're going to give people the ownership to do the job. And, you know, you might people on the outside might think, well, that, that's what you should do. But not a lot of owners do that. They, you know, they really don't. And, um, you know, they obviously have an input and uh, want to know what's going on. But are, are very supportive in, in backing us in any decisions we make. Phil, just going in into... The, the seasons because uh, we'd be here all day if we if we if we sort of psychoanalyzed them which we not not intend to do. But going back to that first season in charge, four wins, four draws. I think it was two defeats in the opening ten games. Lost to Harrogate in the FA Cup, and then the hand handbrake came off in some fashion. Five 0 win. I think it was at um, Aldershot. Six two win at Kings Lynn. Was it a case of of the team finding their feet under your management at that point, and then suddenly? Those two massive away wins was that? Did you know then this team can free score? This team can outscore yeah. the other sides. I think at the time, you know, we had that run where we didn't score more than one goal at home, didn't we? And mm -hmm. but if you look back at those games, we actually had a lot of good chances in the games to go and build on leads. We just didn't take them, and then it becomes a little bit of thing in people's minds that you know we don't kill teams off. We we've we've just won one nil or, or drawn one one. So I think for the confidence of the group, yeah, those wins were, were huge. And uh, then we took that into, into the home form. So yeah, the, the preseason, my first preseason was a tough one. It really was. It was a COVID hit preseason. We didn't have any medical team in, in the club at all. 
Um, it was really tough for me to get to know the players, um, the strengths and the weaknesses. And we rolled in the season not as prepared as I would have liked. Um, the squad wasn't really where we wanted it to be. Um, but I felt getting to January, you know, in a, in a changing position was a good achievement. And we always knew as a, you know, Rob and Ryan, Sean, myself and Les, you know, we knew that once we got to January, we needed some additions um, and we were working on that as the season went on. Neatly brings me on to my next question. Ollie Palmer came in in that window. Um, is it fair to say sort of tram transformative in terms of him and Moles kind of hit the ground running as a, as a partnership, added an extra dimension, scored on his debut against Grimsby? Um, I mean, when he came in and hit the ground running, that must have been a delight for you because, like you said, it sometimes takes players a bit of time to settle. Yeah, I think um, obviously when the first he came in on a Monday, I think, and played him on the Tuesday. This, we, we looked at a lot of strikers and spent hours and hours going through the, the players we felt we could get. We kept going back to Ollie because I think playing for Wrexham, you have to have a, a certain character. Um, one, because of the, the expectation, the sell-out crowds, home and away, um, you know, everything which goes on with the club. And we just felt Ollie fitted into the... To, the remit of what we needed at the time. That was character. Playing-wise, we'd start the season. Obviously, we looked to build from the back and some, some teams come and pressed us and made it difficult. And sometimes you got the ability to play over the press into a platform at the top of the pitch. And, you know, we'd brought Heidi in who'd had injury problems, not quite done it for us. And we just felt we needed that ability that if teams were setting up with a high press, it's go, OK, we'll go over that mm. into Ollie's chest and we'll build from that. So it gave us another dimension to the team and we really kicked on from there. You mentioned there about characters. Um, much has been made, whether it's just um, fan talk of of, of uh, Parkey's uh infamous uh, idiot test, some might say dickhead in brackets. Does that exist? If somebody comes in and they don't fit the bill as a person that you think might upset the dressing room, then that's kind of a no-no as far as you're concerned. No, definitely. We, and I've got the experience of being a manager that the occasions I've signed, the characters who don't fit in a dressing room, have, I've very quickly had to resolve those situations because... The dressing room is key. It's absolutely key to get that balance right. And uh, we've worked hard to do that. You know, it's a long old season. There's a lot of travelling. There's a lot of ups and downs. There's lots of players getting left out of the team, etc. And you need the dressing room to be strong to, to deal with to the roller coaster of a season. So, yeah, when we sign a player, you know, me, Steve, Dave Jones and, and Chris Johnson spend a lot of time ringing people who've worked with them. Obviously, I always have a sit down with the with the new signings to to ask them questions and uh, yeah make sure we try and get the right people in the building to represent the club because um, you know it's a great club and and to to wear the Wrexham shirt you know you've got to have a certain to fulfil a certain criteria. That that season um, before I throw it back to Andy, he's got a few more questions on this one, but that season saw the six five game versus Dover Athletic. <laughs> Um, at five two down, I'm sure this has been documented somewhere. What is going? What is entering your train of thought? Is there still there still is an element of belief? But did you think it's going to take some effort to get something in at that point? Well, it was a strange day because we went two nil up, didn't we, early, and and you could just see, you know, it was a sunny day. It was kind of a bit of a lethargic feel to the day. 
that we took our foot off the gas and I could sense it. And at half time, you know, I said, lads, uh, uh, we, with Dover, they're already, re already relegated. But in the games leading up to that game, they've had, a, they'd had a lot of tight games. You know, they'd almost been playing with a bit of freedom, which sometimes happens when, when you've fight your fate is finally sealed. At 5 2, I can honestly say, I thought if we get a goal, we've got a chance. She just knew the, the, the momentum kicking to that end in the second half. We almost kind of like just pin teams in. And uh, yeah, I didn't stop believing we could do it. You know, to turn it round so late in the game was was a, as a dramatic game as I've been involved in. Obviously, the, that, that season ended in a way that we didn't want it to end with the, 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 the FA Trophy final defeat and then ultimately the, the playoff eliminator of Grimsby. How 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 does do you not not so much as a manager but as a person how do you how do you deal with that sort of double disappointment essentially is what it was and how how do you reset do you just take yourself on a bit of a break how do you, how do you unwind and try and try and separate yourself from that yeah I mean the, the playoff game was a was a crushing blow because um, obviously the the manner of the game. Um, but we were we were vulnerable at the time defensively. We knew that, but we always had the ability to outscore the opposition with with, with, with the players and obviously goal goal threats we we've got in the team. I mean, the big thing for me straight after the game, you know, Ryan just said to me, "Look, Phil, you know we're gonna build this squad even stronger. You know, we know you know where we've fallen short." And this is literally on the pitch after the game. They both messaged me on the, on the flight back. Um, saying that, and that meant a lot to me because, you know, it was uh, it was a blow. Of course, you know, we we took Stockport to the wire, which I felt was a decent achievement because Stockport had been building for a long time for for that season. Where, like I said, you know, we we were playing catch up in many respects. Um, so yeah, we looked as a staff. You know, we had a, a break. I can't remember when we met next. And we just went, look, this is what we need. We need to make sure that the strength is better and we can't be putting players out there representing the club who, who we feel aren't good enough um, for the job. And we just made the squad stronger to, to withstand the challenge of the season ahead. Phil, can I talk about the relationship with the fans? Now, when it, when you first came in, and I know you were building a squad and you probably, as you say about the pre-season, you probably didn't have enough time to, to bring in the sort of player that you wanted. So it wasn't always smooth at the start. Um, I mean, maybe you just thought saw it as a job, but, you know, surely th that's changed now. And there's been, there's been a flip to where you're probably, I mean, Tim will attest to this. I think probably one of the, you know, the best, you know, most sort of revered managers we've had in, in, in quite a while. Most, not, not mostly because you got us promoted. But when do you think it really flipped? And do you think the documentary helped? Uh, possibly, yeah. I mean, I think the documentary, it, it gave people an insight into how hard we prepared. We were working behind the scenes and the challenges which we faced and, and the emotion of, of the dress rooms because, you know, the football means a lot to supporters, but, you know, it's the manager's job and the player's job and, it hurts so much. And I think the documentary showed how much it cares to, to us all and how determined we were to be successful. So to answer your question, I think it probably did. Um, ultimately, what helps build relationships with the supporters is winning games and, and results and, and, and trying to make sure the team plays in a certain way which the supporters can relate to. And I think that's really key. Was it nice to hear that first, we've got Phil Parkey chant? 
yeah of course you know it's it's very important i think that i think having a positive vibe in the ground both home and away for the manager and the players helps a lot you know i when i go watching games which i do a lot so i like to go to games live and i sit there and you know you can pick up things in the crowd and i think mm, this going to be tough for this team because there's too much negativity in the stands you know and it sometimes can can be difficult to turn that round so i always say to the lads look you know we we're in a situation where you know we've got the people of Wrexham right behind us we've got to keep it there and we've got to look at the, the reasons of how we've got to keep it there and obviously recently we've we've lost a few games dipped below our standards but it's very important that you know we understand that why the supporters are connected with the team individually and collectively and we've got to make sure we keep that and we're we're constantly striving for that um this is another one about sort of flipping perceptions really i mean at the start of this, everyone loved Wrexham. Everyone loved Ryan and Rob. They loved the project. Now, uh, we've all seen it. Even though that we go away and there's full attendances and there's full stadiums, there's a lot more jealousy come in, a lot more ira come in. Do you, can you understand that? And can you, can you, sort, of, can you sort of realise why it's flipped a little? Yeah, I think from my own personal point of view, that obviously the away crowds, like you rightly said, full houses, but they were in the National League. You just We're just up against better teams th- this season. Have I re- felt any antagonism t- towards us? You know, when we turn up at Waygrounds or in, in and around hotels, generally people are pro-Rexham, the ones who come and speak to me to my face anyway. So I haven't really felt that too much. Um, but everyone wants to beat us. Now, that, that's that's the key. Everybody wants to beat Wrexham. You know, suddenly the other day, you look at that, sellout crowd there was people ringing me for tickets you know right up to like three o'clock in the afternoon who I knew from down south been trying to get a ticket can't get a ticket at Sutton you know it's almost unheard of so that's not what we've had to face we've had to kind of like embrace it really and, and I always say to the lads that this is great you know we could, you could be turning up and playing in front of half empty stadiums everywhere we go it's it is like that cup tie atmosphere I mean, just natural of football fans to be a little bit jealous, isn't it? Just to see that, yeah, yeah so, the, the profile maybe. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I think deep down there's a lot of respect for the club because they also know that our supporters have been through a lot of heartache over the last um, 15, 20 years as well. So I think, you know, people understand the story, the ones who've watched the documentary. So, um, yeah, of course, when the whistle blows... During the game, yeah, supporters you know want their team to win. But I think in general, people have enjoyed um, watching the documentary and 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 following the progress of the club. Phil, going into the second season, the season under you, um, I I'm sure Andy will probably concur, but easily one of the most enjoyable and nervous seasons we've had, <laughs> considering the battle with Notts County. Um, there's so many memorable moments in that season. It'd be almost impossible to pick out some. Some, but if you ex- exclude the FA Cup games and the Boreham Wood title clincher, yeah. what were, what were your mo- most favourite and or pivotal matches for you? Well, obviously the Notts County one was 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 huge, wasn't it? Um, obviously coming back off the defeat to Halifax, which was a strange day because we we went one nil up. Had a fantastic back in there, and it was almost as if everyone's minds were switching towards the Notts County game. And you know, sometimes you can sense it, and things can run out of you, you control as a manager while the game's going on. But you could just feel that happening. 
Um, yeah, but I thought that the preparation from that Friday to Monday was was really good. You know, we had a, a good, honest chat with the lads, worked on the training pitch, how we want to play. So, so the Notts County game was used. I thought I thought the win at Bromley was a big win for us when we went down there because everyone knows that the pitch down there is a huge advantage. You know, and Bromley are a decent National League team. And to go down there and win, and I think Notts dropped points that day as well, was in a barner. So I felt that was a huge win for us. Um, I'm trying to think. Solly hold back to back wins were yeah. big, you know, especially we turned them over here. And then, you know, when you beat a team heavily to, to go back down there, there's always going to, that team's always going to be kind of better prepared, motivated to, to turn the tables on you to, to get those back to back wins over, over the Christmas period, I thought was, was huge for us. At the end of the, the Borenwood game, um, I think Amy Davis is, uh, the triple the A uh, video caught your enormous sigh of relief, big intake of breath. Yeah. What, I mean, we can, we can kind of interpret it as, as we like, but what was it in, in that moment? What, what, what was it like for you then? Cause that must've been a massive whirlwind of emotions, relief, elation, pride, a bit of everything. Yeah, no, it was, I mean, just if you go back to that week, obviously, we had the Yeovil game on the Tuesday and um, it's really, you know, I can cast my mind back. And I was thinking, if we beat Yeovil, I'm confident on a one-off 90 minutes, we'll get the job done. But I was concerned about the Yeovil game because I felt everybody was casting their minds to the Boreham Wood game. And I, and I could feel it strongly. And I said, the lads on Monday, we had a big meet with them. So look, lads, I'm telling you now, We've got to make sure the focus is right against Yeovil because, you know, another team, obviously nothing to play for, et cetera. Um, but I was confident that if we got that job done and it was a one-off game, that we were good enough to win. But you never know. And, and obviously, from Knotts' point of view, the team they'd have wanted coming here was Bournemouth because of the way they play. They're good, very well organised. They don't play much football. They sit off the ball. They make it difficult for you. So they're... they're they're good at that. That's the kind of key element of their game. And obviously going a goal down so quickly. But just immense pride, to be honest, gents, because I think it typified what you know, me and Steve and Jonah and the other Aidan had tried to implement in the lads about, you know, working on how what we needed to do to win and whatever's happened in the game. Just keep concentrating on that. And we kept playing and kept chipping away. And the moments came for us. And yeah, when the final whistle went, you know, it just gives me you know goose pimples now just thinking about that whistle because it was an incredible feeling. And the the kind of moments after that and the hours after that are, are just a blur. And it's not an alcohol blur, I could assure you of that. Obviously, we had a few glasses of beer and you know, we had an impromptu party over the other side of the ground. But it was just a whirlwind and a blur of emotions and um you know, seeing that the faces of our supporters and the pitch it, the pitch it is pictures, sorry, um, of people's just sheer joy, you know, it's something I'll never forget. Did uh, did um Steve Parkin punch you in the face in the celebration after that? I remember vividly seeing a picture of you putting your yeah, job no, back. When the lads jumped, so I went on the pit and jumped on me. I think it was Moles crack, accidentally cracked me in the jaw. So for a split second, yeah, no, that was just uh, hilarious. And then me and Steve just kind of got back into the dugout and we're just watching the scenes unfold and you know, my wife came down from the stand and yeah it was uh it was always great to to share it with your family as well because 
you know, your family as a manager, you know, followed me, you know, as a player, obviously, but as a manager, home and away, and it means a lot to them as well. So, yeah, it was a very special period. I, I've got some quick ones for you before I throw it back over to Andy's. We kind of wind it down. A um, couple of quick fire ones, um, slightly cheeky. Um, Barnet goalkeeper Laurie Walker, Billy Sharp, and one of your least favourite National League officials are seated with you on a table at an awards ceremony. Who do you avoid and who do you chat with the most? Oof. I think um, you know we'd. Uh, I think we'd always get things out on the table and have a chat rather than avoid situations because that's why. Yeah, you know the best way to be. So yeah, you know Billy's. Billy, it was a strange night that because I don't know what to set Billy off. I really don't. But me and him were still arguing about forty-five minutes after. Well, probably longer than that. In in the dress room area, I bumped into him again and we started having this big argument again. He was like, just, but listen, Billy's been a good player. Yeah, the Barnet keeper, that was, uh, yeah, it's a strange one, yeah. And the officials, yeah, I mean, yeah, listen, it's tough, in it? They've got a difficult job, but, um, you know, there's obviously, you've got to stand your corner because, uh, you know, we know that sometimes refs come here and I feel, because it's a big crowd and the profile of the club, they sometimes try and go too much the other way. Um, and, uh, yeah, but listen, um, that's part and parcel dealing with that. And Billy went on a, on a podcast a few months ago. He said, well, why not if Wrexham come calling? Surely there's no chance, Bill. Surely. <laughs> it's a big no-no. <laughs> um, strangest fan request you've ever had? Blimey. I'll have to come back to that one. I'm sure something okay. will come up. I remember you telling me um, in lockdown you trained for a marathon. I think you yeah. ran a marathon. Um, who can run the furthest? Super Phil Parkinson, James Jones, or Luke Young? Oh, blimey. Or an unnamed player that, that I've not considered. Well, well, to be fair, you, you put James McLean at, at the top of that list. Really? He's, he's well, I mean, he's, uh, his running power is exceptional. That's, he stayed at the top of his game. He's um, incredible the way he prepares, but but James and Younger, yeah, you know, when we do the fitness test in, in the summer, obviously James McLean wasn't with us this in pre-season at the start, but those two lead the way all the time. And, uh, you know, distance covered on the pitch, as, as you know, and high-speed running, all that correlate with wins. You know, you've got to have a team which can cover the ground, recover quickly. Um, the, the game, you know, is more and more about athleticism. And, uh, yeah, it's very important. So, you know, when I played, they didn't have the GPS data, but you know that was my game. Is was covering the ground, but JJ and Youngie, yeah, been phenomenal for us. So I'm going to take that as you. You would definitely beat them in a marathon. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a nice way of saying it. No, I don't think I'd get anywhere near them. To be honest with you, Andy. Phil, we're going to finish on a quick fire round. This is sort yeah. of five quick fire questions we always ask all of our guests. Now, from your time at Wrexham or even your time in football, who's the most skillful player you've seen? Um, Matt Letizia. When I played yeah. with Ian Sampson, he's uh, a genius of a footballer. Do you want um, quick fire answers or do you want me to explain why? Or I mean, if you if you want to if you want to Matty, explain by all means. I was an apprentice with Matty at Southampton and... Um, I played in the youth team with him and we were winning six, seven, nil, eight, nil every week. And he was so good. And um, he got the first team at 17, scored off the bench. And, you know, if you ever, anyone listening to this ever gets a chance to watch Matt Letizia's greatest goals, 
on on YouTube, watch it because he was a phenomenal player and he scored special goals all the time. 20 goals a season, more or less always in a team down the bottom of, of the Premiership. And you know, Matty loved the easy life in Stampton. He could jump on a plane to Guernsey, where his family were from. But if he had moved to Man United or something like this, you know, people, you know, he'd be talking about him, you know, around the country and possibly the world because he was a, an immense talent. Um, maybe this one's more for Wrexham. Who's the worst dressed? And you can put staff in this. I don't know, Humphrey Carr, maybe. I don't know. Oh, it's Aidan Davison without <laughs> It's always the keepers, isn't it? Keepers, yeah, yeah. No, he's um, yeah. We go for a pint, which we which we do now and again to discuss the team. Or like he turn up in his shorts and flip flops, and might be the middle of wind. Not flip flops, actually. Uh, but he would just turn up in shorts and the most random gear, and it'd be the middle of the winter. Right. Next one. Who is the most underrated? Who doesn't really get the plaudits that they deserve? Ooh, that's a good question. Come back to that one. Yeah, come back to that one. You All right, this might be a bit easier. Yeah. Who is the biggest moaner? Biggest moaner. Wow. To I mean, honest, what? No, he's always got, Really got major moaners in the, in, in the thing. I mean, Toes is great, but to class him as a moaner is a bit harsh. But he'll pick up on things for us. Laps, uh, lapses of discipline in the dress room or fine, he'll come see me and say, I think this is happening. I think that's gone a bit slack. He'll, you know, just, just help us control that. So, yeah, I suppose you could class that as moaning, but it's not it's not in a negative way. He kind of does it to help us, you know, run the dress room. Yeah, I think a lot of people moan about his music taste. Am I right in thinking? Well, he has he some music on, yeah. I think, I think Ben, I'll just go back to underrated player. I think I'm going to go back to toes on that one as well. And the reason is because what people don't understand, we play through Ben at the back a lot, right? And you have to have a lot of bravery to keep receiving the ball in high-pressure games as well. And in all my time here, he obviously he has made mistakes like every player does. But I always say to him, just keep getting the ball. Keep showing bravery to show for the ball. And he's never once on the pitch have I looked at him and thought, oh, he doesn't quite want it there. And sometimes people in the stands don't quite pick up to that. But showing bravery to make angles when people are under pressure is, is a huge thing. And I think that kind of element of, of Ben's game is, is probably not really like rated as highly as it should be. No, fair enough. And last one from me. Who would you least like to fight? I mean, I think Aidan Davidson's going to be in that category <laughs> again. Um before he's, he's on our side. Um, yeah, I'd put Aiden on that one. Aiden's a, a, a northeast boy and, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a tough lad, but got a heart of gold. Phil, just one thing that, that, that has sort of... How does a lad from Chorley end up with a southern accent and playing for Southampton? Well, no, when I was... I only lived in Chorley till about four or five and then we moved down to to London and then back up to the north and then back to Southampton as a player. So I always had a, a southern accent from from a young lad, lived in the north from the age of eight to 16. So then back to Southampton for four years. So, Right. Yeah. And finally, it was Reading 2, Wrexham 0 twice. That was season. it? Wow. Yeah. 
Because I remember, I remember a game up here. You, you can look this up, gents. It was the first game of the season, and Tommy Burns was our manager, and I, I wasn't um, in the team, but I was in the stand watching it. And we'd gone pre-season to Holland and played the beautiful game in Holland, passing the ball out from the back. And we came to Wrexham against Flinney, Joey Jones' team, and they they closed us down, pressed us, and upset us all over the pitch. And I remember the next day we had a meeting and Tommy said to me, you know, what do you think? And I said, well, Gaffer, like we've got out-muscled by a, a strong physical League One team and we're not ready for that. You know, we weren't prepared for it because of the pre-season we'd had and it was a real wake-up call. We'd signed a couple of foreign boys that year, uh, to a Dutch goalkeeper, a Dutch centre-half, who, who weren't quite prepared for the intensity of the race course that day. I think before we uh, wind down, what was what were the mop up questions, Andy? It was the, for me. It was the uh, the strangest fan request. Did you did you figure out what that was? Did you have anything weird? I can't think of one off the top of my head. I'm sure I've had plenty, but there's not one outstanding one. No, right. he's revealed it's, it's one from the nineties. Yeah. Blur Oasis. Oh, Oasis, I'd go for. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's right. that's that's won a lot of hearts and minds right there. If they went yeah. already, won already. <laughs> um, Phil, just 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 kind of wrapping up. Really, I mean, 150 games there or thereabouts. By the time this goes out, how how do you how do you how do you look back on it and assess it? I mean, it's as as it kind of as it as it matched up to your expectations, as it exceeded it. I mean. You know, th- th- there's been a for me personally, there's been a little bit of context lost in this in this sort of little blip that we've had, and people like Andy said it on the pod last week that all the wins that we've had it almost gives like a false idea of what football is about, and we're not used to losing. And then yeah. some of the comments I've seen and read it, it drives me a little bit a little bit crazy yeah. to be honest. So it's just natural, isn't it? It's just it's not it's just normal supporters that so not that we read it or but obviously you kind of. When you lose, you know people get emotional. So, yeah. So, yeah. That's that's part and parcel. Like I keep saying it's just half the course, really. But you look, you look back on the on the, the, this, the three years in charge so far with must be like immense satisfaction and pride because of ultimately the objective was to get out of the league. We've done that. The next objective is to try and get out of this league, which things are looking rather good for. Yeah. I think I always say to the lads who we sign and, and as a group, you know, that the key part of being in football is to come back in years to come and say you're part of someone something and be remembered. And, you know, the group of players and like I think myself and all the staff for the promotion will always be remembered at this club because it's a huge season in the history of the football club. So football, obviously people want good contracts and money and et cetera, et cetera. But that's to the side for me. It's about creating memories, having memories for your families, coming back and, and being part of something. And all these lads have been here. They've all been on a journey with us. Every one of them who comes in say to me, wow, it's better. the club's better than you explained it when you when you were selling us it. And that's a little bit for myself as well. Did I imagine it to, to go to the level it has in terms of the documentary, the popularity in America, uh, you know, the success we've had and Probably not, because I think for you supporters, you couldn't have imagined the profile of the club, where it's where it's gone to. I mean, when we're in the US, you know, it was just mind blowing, really, how popular the club is over there. 
because because of the documentary and not not just kind of documentary how many people were watching the games and were following and knew all about the teams and were asking me about individual matches away from home what about this game or what about that goal and um yeah that was it really was uh, something to behold that the how the club's profile has, has escalated to a different level great stuff good place to end it i think yeah um yeah Thanks massively Thank again for the time. No problem, Jeff. If you can try and sign Arthur on a 10-year deal, that'd be great. <laughs> we we'll try. <try-in. laughs> there you go. That was Phil Parkinson. A massive thanks to Phil for his time. Very generous with it, wasn't he, Andy? What did uh, you know? Did you enjoy yourself first of all? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be absolutely honest. At the start of Phil's reign, I, I, I didn't. I didn't really, you know, we had criticism of him, didn't we? Of course we, of course we did. Um, I sort of asked that in the question, uh, in one of the questions about the fans' reactions to him because he he doesn't change his formation much. He, he's, he's quite quite solid in what he does. But to be honest, if you think about what he's achieved over those two and a half years, he was in a no-win situation, really, was he? If he... He's dropped down to conference. Um, if he doesn't take it up with all that, with all that, uh, that money behind him, People, you know, he might he might not get back in the game at the level he wants. So it was a big risk for him. I think there was a massive sigh of relief at the Boreham Wood game where he realizes he, he he's done it and he's achieved. But he hasn't rested on his laurels. He's he's really pushed us on again this this season. And I think we've got a great great chance of going up. I think the real test for Phil is in League One with um, to see how he can adapt our style of play. And I'm sure he'll give it give it a good go. What happened to that part where you were going to give him a like a sort of tactical lesson? You said, weren't you, before the um, I had all the pepper the pots ready, mate. I did, I did. I had all, all of them out. I say, Phil, this is four three three. Have you heard of this? <laughs> there just wasn't time, was there, Andy? Just what, no, you did, yeah, you, I, you I weren't mean, intimidated. And he did ten pepper pots. I've only got eight. <laughs> Tim, did you enjoy yourself? It was very, very good. Yeah, it was just nice, you know, because we, we just said prior to it, just. We appreciate he doesn't do many you know, other than press conferences and stuff. So just to kind of try and enjoy it. And obviously he's he's very he's a very, very smooth operator, very savvy, knows what to say, knows what not to say, knows how to kind of like swerve a slightly cheeky stroke, maybe slightly more difficult question. I mean we didn't throw him under the bus in any way, shape or form. Um but it's just he's just he's got charisma, you know, as well as the, the actual um, skill set to get a team over the line. He's a likable bloke, you know, and that's that's a big thing um, for for us as fans. And I, I think it sometimes get over, gets overlooked how he's united the majority of the fan base and the squad and kind of linked them seamlessly. A lot is said about Rob and Ryan and and and, and everything else, but he is is kind of like the focal point of of how he's kind of married both of those together. Just by being honest, just by fighting for the cause, you know whether he's not chops in with Billy Sharp, he's he's having a go at a referee. There's something, and he's always fighting our corner. So I think that kind of um, shows through in the interview. Well said. Yeah. Well said. Top stuff. And remember, everyone, these are the good times. 94 wins in 150 games. Unbelievable scenes. In case any of us needed reminding. Right, time for the return of a once regular feature. Um, oh Jesus. It is time for the Book of a Conquo. I have no well, information other than that. 
I've been, I, I, I would say I've been trying to practice this all, all day, but it's been, basically I'm going to hit you with double bubble. So we've got the really, really obviously bad one, um, which is there thereabouts. And I've come up with an earworm, which might work, which might work. And that's going to be a cappella. Whilst we're on, on the subject of this, we're going to do another uh, poll for you guys to post up for people to decide. Because this is the this is the result of the last one, which is about three, four weeks ago. And the, the wonderful public decided to go for my um, suggestion, which was All Night Long by Lionel Richie. Um, I, I, I don't know where... I mean, you've caught me on the hop. I thought this was going to be further, further down the, down the agenda. But I've got to be honest, I've got to give a little shout out to uh, Gareth Collins at Gareth L. Collins on Twitter, stroke X, um, for giving me an extra line on this one. I thought I, that, that kind of works. So he's given me um, the line before the chorus. So let, let's see how this pans out. Um, I'm actually nervous because it's been a while. I feel like I've got a stage fright. Um, Tim, you can do it. You're a great singer. You're really talented. We all love your songs. Don't take the piss. I like my earworm more. Um, I might do my earworm first to get in the mood. Let me, let me remember this one. So the earworm acapella is going to be to uh, Gimme, Gimme, Gimme by the mighty Abba. So, right, how did this go? Let me think. I just thought about this about an hour ago. <clears throat> right. <clears throat> gimme, 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 a man called a conquo plays for the Wrexham no, I got it wrong. Fucking hell, I got it wrong. Right, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. Gimme, gimme, gimme a man called a conquo. Keeps in go for Exum. He's on loan from Arsenal. Gimme, gimme, gimme a man called a conquo. Come on, Sean Harvey, give Arteta a call. There you go. That's all right. Liam's, Liam's thinking twice about that one now. I, I think redeemed it at the end. I quite liked the line about Harvey calling Arteta. I, I, I don't know. That just worked for me. Yeah, I, I cocked it because like my heart's gonna like the clappers because I'm shit myself about this Lionel Richie one. It's all gone I wrong. Don't I don't think it's one of your best. I'm I, I will say that it's not awful. It wasn't awful though. Yeah, it's better than fucking tequila. Not that I'm bitter about that song taking off about Arthur in any way, shape, or form. Anyway, right, let's uh, let's try and work this out quickly. Um, right, hold on. Let me figure this out. Let the music play. All right, okay. I've got up to it. <laughs> Round two. Phil Parkey, O'Connor, Steve Fletcher, Forever. Come on and sing my song. We're bound to. Phil Parkey, O'Connor, Steve Fletcher, Forever. Come on and sing my song. Oh, Conquo, Arthur. Oh, Conquo, Arthur. Oh, Conquo, Arthur. Oh, Conquo, Arthur. There you go. And that, that was better than the first one. Much yeah. better than the first one. Um, oh, it is six minutes of my life. I will never get back, though. No, you, well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know well, what to you can write in and let us know what you think of uh, those songs. You can email Andy. Email Andy. Email um, Andy. Andy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the new Phyllis and Devotion email account because we've been locked out of our official one for the second time in a row. Plenty of flaccid penis don't pictures. Take, don't, to go in, please. 
don't take advantage of my good nature. Like I'm sitting here <laughs> sending out free fanzines, and all of a sudden I get. I get if you need your drive idea. tarmac in email Andrew Gilpin at <laughs> I'm surprised. I'm surprised Flo Robinson hasn't dropped into your email yet to, to sort of say, you know, when you were flogging those fearless and devotions on the corner for the game, you were also drinking strong lager, which is uh, clearly <laughs> it was actually cider. A, my my sources <laughs> said <laughs> it was cider. It was strong I think. <laughs> I, I looked at you when I came on the corner. I was like, yeah, you have a few drinks, have you? And you went, yeah. What of it? <laughs> I'm like fucking hell! It's like turning into a wino, <laughs> and Andy wino. Sometimes I like to drink on the corner of of street. <laughs> you do clearly. I've learned that now. Anyway, I love, I, I love the fact. Hold on, I love the fact that he got the sign right. He got the fearless and devotion sign with all, all the deals, and he kind of like stuck it at the back <laughs> behind the empty beer cans or the empty cider cans. <laughs> and then my mate in the Myers Green said, "Yeah, I saw Andy." Um, with his with his fanzines and they it was a pause and he went he went do you want me to make you a proper sign i was like yeah you best that oh, <laughs> that's a good sign and these cardboard signs are great i think they're wonderful andy well done you and well done you for um selling those fanzines um yeah, I'm, I'm the one out there doing it yes he, he drinks on the, he drinks on the corner with a cardboard sign there's a song in there somewhere we'll come up with that. Uh, absolutely is good. but if you if you want to hear tim sing some other O'Conquest songs then send in your suggestions to andy's email andrew gilpin at hotmail.com and you you three have got to come up with your own by the end of this pod all right i, I want you okay, to by episode 300 i'll come up with my own well, I've, got a, I've got to stop i've got a suggestion go west king of wishful thinking Right, we'll have that one. I'll drop that down. Andy and Reese have got to come with their suggestions. No, I think. want Ness and Dorma. Fucking Ness and Okay. All right. Reese has got to come with his. They're flying now. They're all off the... Off the I'll, I'll, I'll give you time. I'll, I'll come back okay. and go next week. Okay. Um, right. Uh, time for predictions. Let's move on. Uh, MK Dons, Gillingham, uh, Tuesday, Saturday. And then after that, we've got another away game on the Tuesday night. So we've got three away games in seven days, I believe. It's a tough run, but let's just do those first two. Um, Liam, why don't I start with you? MK Dons and Gillingham, what's your predictions? Uh, I think I think this wind's gone to my head because I'm feeling a bit optimistic. Uh, go one all at MK Dons, tight, testy affair, and 2 0 away win at Gillingham. I've lost my head. Love it. Um, I'll join you. I'll go now. I'll join you with the MK Dons. I think we'll draw. I'm going to say two all. Um, and then I'm going to put us down for a draw down in Gillingham, um, which will be a 1-1. Andy? Um, I really thought a draw at MK Dons. I don't want to be I don't want to be the same as everyone else. I think Don, you're right. Dons are flying. Mike Williamson's the manager. He did really well at Gateshead and he seems to have galvanised that club. We do owe them. After that 5-3, um, I still love a draw, so I'm going to go one each there. I just I just feel that we could sneak something at Gillingham, um, but we are there's a lot of long away trips to different parts of the country over the, over the next week, so I do feel that we are going to lose one of them. Um, no, 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 I'm going to go 2-1 Gillingham, so one each and 2-1. Four points from, from these two, and I'll be absolutely ecstatic at that. He'll be ecstatic. Tim? Yeah, on the corner with his sign, ecstatic. Um, I, yeah, I'm not I'm normally not of the mindset where when people go, take a draw. I'm like, nah, go for the win. But I am going with that mindset for Tuesday because a draw there is not shabby in any way, shape or form. 
I imagine we'll take a few more than we were perhaps going to after our little little lull. So you know, a lot a new ground for a lot of people. So I'm still expecting probably twelve to fifteen hundred or whatever they initially give us. It won't be far off it. So I'm, th- you know what, I think, I think um, two each at Don's. Um, as good as it was to have a clean sheet, we were quite fortunate to have that clean sheet. A bit of bit of bit of good fortune and some good goalkeeping. So I don't think we've ironed out that aspect yet. And I think Gillingham, Gillingham's a weird one. I, I don't really know what to expect from from Gillingham, but I think I'm be typical. We'll go for a, a draw at Don's and win at Gillingham. We might go the opposite way, but I think Gillingham will 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 sneak that one with a one 0 Go back to a clean sheet there. So and then oh, we've got wow. Forest Green next week, but we'll, we'll discuss that. Let's hope for another successful week for Wrexham on the field. Um, Until that point, everyone, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. And we'll speak to you next week. Bye-bye. AndrewGilpin.com if you want one of these. (laughs) (laughs) AndrewGilpin.com. Stop, stop, stop. Give myself an own website.